Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Josie Kerrigan. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that God has called you to do. I'm excited to share with you guys today. I'm going to share about something that I'm very passionate about, which is prayer. And um, I'm going to be quite teachy this morning. I will use a lot of scripture. If you're taking notes, you can do that. Um, Some of them might not even come up on the screen behind me. We're just going to get through this this morning because I believe that God wants to emphasize prayer. We're in a season where Brad and I, God is re-emphasizing the importance of prayer. And I believe as a church family, he is emphasizing the importance of prayer. And I think we could all agree that we're, prayer is good. We're supposed to pray. And most of us would probably say, I should probably pray more than I do. It's important. We know that. As Christians, we should pray. But why do we pray? Why is it necessary that we pray? And so I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, Colossians 4.2, just at the very beginning, the foundation of this. In the NIV, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. Other translations say, be persistent, continue steadfastly, and persevere in prayer. It's something that is like an ongoing thing that's never going to finish until we get to be in heaven and see Jesus. We're always meant to continue steadfastly in prayer. So why are we supposed to pray? God has ordained it to where his will on the earth, what he desires to see happen, comes through our prayers. Which is interesting because he's almighty and he's God, so he could just make it like if he wants something, he's just going to do it. But instead, he chose to partner with our prayers. Since Genesis, when God said, fill the earth and govern it, he gave us dominion over the earth. Psalm 115 and 16 says, for the highest heaven belongs to the Lord, but the earth he gave to mankind. This is ours to rule and reign. You know, Jesus said, I give you authority here on earth to bind and to loose. He has given us the task to pray. And God won't do anything unless we pray. It's like giving him a work permit to intervene in our situation. That's why we prayed for Olgi this morning. That's why we pray for our city. That's why we pray for our nation. That's why we pray for Israel. Because God wants to partner with our prayers. That is how he moves here on the earth. I want to show you just two verses as an example of how when God wants to do something, how does that work? Because Amos 3, 7, I want you to look at this. It says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing, does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. So before God's going to do something, he reveals it to his prophets. He speaks to his people and he says, look, this is what I want to happen. Remember in the Bible, you know, the, the Messiah was promised way before Jesus come. There were all these prophecies about a Messiah that was going to come. And then there were people that were praying for the Messiah to come so that it would come to pass. Here's another example of partnering with God in prayer. So we have the prophetic word that goes out, right? God does nothing. We just read that without revealing it first to his prophets. Look in Daniel chapter 9. This is about Daniel. Now, Daniel... He was studying the scriptures. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago and I was mentioning how he looked into the scriptures. He was a man of prayer. And it says here in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2 and 3, it says, I, Daniel, understood from scriptures according to the word of the Lord that was given to Jeremiah the prophet 
that the desolation of Jerusalem would last for 70 years. So here's Daniel, he looks in the Bible and he sees, oh my goodness, God has promised that this whole desolation of Jerusalem, which was during the season that Daniel was alive, would only last for 70 years. And it was nearing the 70 year mark, so what did Daniel do? He didn't just like, oh my goodness, thank you God, now we know that it's going to come to an end. No, the Bible says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He saw a promise. He saw what God wanted to do, what he had revealed to the prophets. And then he's like, okay, this is what God wants. Now I'm going to pray that into being. And that is how it is with the promises of God in our lives. You know, God, you might come up here and get a prophetic word, or you might see something in the scripture like healing belongs to the children of God. We have to pray that into being by partnering with God, adding our faith to what God has promised, what he has revealed through the prophetic word or what we've seen through a promise in scripture, and then it activates God to move on our behalf. That is how God works. Even look at the Lord's Prayer. You know, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. Jesus said to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? If it was going to automatically happen, he wouldn't have even taught us to pray, your will be done. We wouldn't need to pray it. But even in the Lord's prayer, he said, pray that God's will would be done on the earth. It's not automatic. You and I need to pray it into being. And that is why prayer is so important. More than just being communion with God and being in relationship with him, it's how his ways and his purposes and revival and salvation and healing is enacted on the earth. The Bible says you ask, you have not because you ask not. So we need to ask and take that seriously. So God reveals to us his purposes and his ways through scriptures, through, through prophetic words. And it says in 1 John 5, 14, I love this. I love this verse because it gives us confidence when we pray. It said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So I think an important aspect of prayer that we sometimes overlook is to figure out what is the will of God in this situation? What has God revealed to us that he wants to do? Sometimes we just pray our will. I know I do. I'm like, God, I pray this happens. I pray this happens. Bless me with this. You know, I want that. That's great. But the guarantee that we have for God moving on our behalf is that we pray in accordance to his will. So when we first begin to pray, whether we are alone in prayer or if we're in corporate prayer, we need to seek the heart of God and the will of God over a situation because then we know that God will hear us and answer from heaven because he wants nothing more than to enact his will here on earth. But he's like, okay, give me a work permit. Come on, church, pray it into being. Come on. Uh, Brad reminded our um, Wednesday night prayer meeting on, on Wednesday at Presence and Prayer, he talked about a word that God gave to my dad in 1977. He was praying for revival in America, and if you guys know, my dad's from Sweden, and so revival in America was just something that God had laid on his heart, and he was praying, and God spoke to him very clearly. I believe it was audible, which is one of the only times that has happened, and he said, a great end-time revival will sweep the United States but it will only happen to the extent that the church in America prays it into being. It's like the key to unlock God's final plan on the earth is in the hands of his church. And that key is prayer. 
Don't underestimate the time that you spend on your knees. It's not glorified. It's not up here on stage. It's something that's so many times is done in secret, but our reward will be great. That is how the purpose of God will come to pass here on earth. And you know, I want to just talk about personal prayer and corporate prayer a little bit because God calls us to pray individually, but he also calls us to pray together. And even when Jesus said, you know, go into your prayer closet and close the door, because we like to quote that, like, well, I pray by myself, why do I have to come to a prayer meeting, you know? Even in that, when, God ta- when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and he said, go into your prayer closet, close the door, then he said, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, forgive our sins, our daily bread. There's a corporateness to our praying even when we're alone in our prayer closet. Yes, God sees us individually, but he also sees us corporately. He sees a people, he sees a church, he sees a nation, he sees a city. And when we pray, it's not just us praying, we're praying like our, we take ownership of being a part of the family of God, of the body of Christ around the world. You know, our Society here in America is very individually focused, but if you look at Hebrew culture, which is where the Bible was written, which is where the Messiah came, it's very community focused, it's very tribal, it's very family. You rarely see I, it's always we. And you see throughout scripture how the whole nation of Israel would gather to pray or how the disciples were in the upper room to pray or Moses prayed with the people or Ezra prayed with the people. There's something that happens when we corporately come together to pray that's different than when we pray in our prayer closet. I believe it's something that is so powerful. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, if my people... My people who are called by my name would humble themselves. It's plural. It's togetherness. It's in unity. All of us coming together and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It's not one person's land, but as a church body, it is our land. And as a body of Christ, united, not just our church, but all the churches, we can take ownership even for the sins of our nation and come before God and stand in the gap. How do we do that? Through corporate prayer, through corporate prayer, through gatherings, just like they did in the scriptures. And Matthew says it so clearly where it says, it is written, we all know this, my house will be called a house of prayer. Yes, we're a house of worship. Yes, our win is salvation. But Jesus himself said, my house, this is his house, will be called a house of prayer. That's why we pray so much on Sunday mornings. We pray over the prayer cards. We pray at the end. We pray at the beginning. We pray over Jeff and Danny. We pray. It's important. It's not like a waste of time. And when we, you know, have our Wednesday night service not be a service, but be a prayer service, It's not because we don't feel like preparing a message. It's because it's so important that we pray. It has the utmost importance that the only thing we do other than Sunday morning service as a corporate body is pray and worship. And worship is prayer. Prayer and worship go hand in hand. It talks about in the Bible how there are bowls up in heaven filled with the prayers of the saints and there are harps with worship. Worship and prayer together is our offering to Jesus and our offering to God. It's how he moves on our behalf. It's how we commune with him while we're still here before we get to go to heaven and worship him in eternity. And the Bible says that Jesus himself prays. He makes intercession. Intercession is a form of prayer day and night on our behalf. Prayer 
is important. And when it comes to corporate prayer, I was looking through scriptures, because this is really what was on my heart, was God was saying, there's such a power in corporate prayer. And I want our church not to miss or undervalue the importance of coming together and pray. And when you look through scriptures, when people would gather to pray, they gather for repentance, for thanksgiving, for praise, for worship, for intercession, for recounting God's miracles, like testimony is a part of prayer services. Over and over you see like Moses, he sings this long song of all the things that God has done. It's like to build the faith of the people so then we can go forward from there. There's praise, there's celebration, there's prophetic words. And God gets corporate glory when there's a corporate asking. When you pray for something, or when we all pray together and we see God move, he gets glory. And there's like a corporate um, magnified way of seeing God move when we ask together and we all see the answer of God. So I want us to go through just a couple of things when we all come together to pray that I want us to keep in mind. Even when we pray on a Sunday morning, like if you don't come on Wednesday night, but you're here on a Sunday and Brad or any of the leaders are up here, maybe somebody on the worship team starts to pray. What is the response in a corporate prayer gathering? What's our heart posture? First of all, seeking his will and what to pray. Like that is so important. And usually the prayer leader will get heart for what God wants to do in that meeting, in that prayer gathering, or while we're praying, like Brad might say, oh, I just have it on my heart that we should pray for this, or pray for so-and-so. You know, like the story of Elisha and the servant when they were surrounded by enemies, if you read that story, the servant couldn't see what God was doing, but Elisha saw in the spirit, and God gave him direction, like, look, there's angels all around. And I think the prayer leader in a service is kind of like that, like Elisha, like their eyes are open to see what God's doing in the spirit. And then our job as a congregation is to like, wow, I'm catching hold of what God is doing. And just like the eyes of the servant of Elisha was opened to also see the angels, our eyes as a congregation when we're praying together are opened to what God is wanting to do. And we know that we can pray what? According to his will which is when he hears us from heaven. So first, you need to seek the will and the heart of God. Then, as we're in a prayer service and one person is praying up here, in a congregation, we need to add our prayers. That's what makes it corporate praying because otherwise you could just be in your prayer closet and be praying by yourself. But if one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight and there is power in corporate prayer, what does that look like? Well, it means that even as we're not leading on the microphone, our amen and our yes and our agreement to whatever prayer is being prayed matters and it adds weight and power in the spirit. It fills that bowl in heaven with incense and prayer so that God can move. So when you're sitting and you're praying and you're in a prayer service, say yes, say amen, say whatever you know God lays on your heart to pray, whether it's in English or in your prayer language. As long as it's not so loud that you can't hear the prayer leader, it's perfectly in order and you're just coming into agreement with what God wants to do and you're adding your prayer it's like more people pushing against the heavy weight and the more people push the further we can get that thing does that make sense so your amen and your yes and you're coming into agreement with whatever we're praying for matters don't undervalue what weight you can push in the spirit by praying along when we pray together the third thing is to pray until there's breakthrough and this is funny it sounds so like 
spiritual and it's kind of Christianese to say like, pray till the burden lifts or pray through and you'll know when it's done. It's so like mystical. So I want to just make it simple. When you're praying, you're praying according to the will of God. God has laid something on your heart to pray for. And whether it's personally or corporately, it's like a burden when you're interceding for someone. Let's, pray, let's say we're praying for Olgi for healing or for Israel and, and we know we're gonna pray for that. It's like you have this like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like something in your heart that you know you have to pray for this and when it's finished, when you're done praying, it kind of lifts, it goes away and you just know like, okay, whatever God wanted to do through our prayers, it's done. And you see this with Jesus when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went, he left his disciples and it's before he was gonna go on the cross and he knew that he was gonna to have to suffer and die and the Bible says that he was in agony and he was overcome with grief and he prayed, Father, let this cup pass by me if it's possible, but not my will, but your will be done. And he prayed at one time, then he went and he checked on his disciples who he told to pray along with him and they all fell asleep. So the Bible says, he's like, come on, wake up. Couldn't you wake with me a little bit? And then he goes and he prays the exact same thing a second time. Father, if it be your will, please let this cup pass by me, but not my will, but your will be done. He went back and checked on his disciples. They were asleep again. And then Jesus by himself went and prayed a third time because he persevered in prayer. But he prayed the exact same prayer. It was like he knew it wasn't finished yet. He had to pray it until he knew that it was done and he had overcome the situation and his will was completely laid down for the purposes of God that he was ready to face the cross. When we pray, it's like that. Don't leave a topic or something just because your words run out. If you feel like God still wants you to linger and pray over that, there's a reason. Jesus, obviously his prayers were the most powerful ever and he had to pray for the same thing three times. In the same stretch of praying, I don't know how long it took him. But I think I often say the words to get through like here's what I feel like God wants to do and then I'm done. But we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and sometimes we need to continue to push on that weight until we feel like it lifts and then we go on to the next thing. And lastly, always include thanksgiving, praise, and worship. We all know the old song, but it comes from scripture. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. There's a reason. That's how we come into the presence of God. And that's why we pair worship with prayer. Because once we're in his presence, we can ask and he hears us. Always be thankful. If we thank him, like when you, when you push, 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 and you feel like you're praying for a specific situation, when you feel like, okay, yes, he's heard me, thank him right then. Even if nothing has changed in the natural, you just say, thank you, God, that you've done this, what I have prayed for. I thank you for what you're about to do. I thank you. Thank God, and it opens the door for him to move. Thanksgiving and praise is so important. And if you have 10 minutes to pray, spend nine thanking God for all the things he has done and then one minute asking. It's so important. And when we thank God for the stuff he's done in the past, it builds our faith so that we can ask big for the future. I have one story that I wanna read before we close this morning and it's about the praying church in Acts chapter 12. And I thought I would just read this story because we're a church and God's calling us to be a house of prayer. And here is the church in the New Testament and they are 
going through a difficult season. And um, yeah, I just thought I'd read it and I want you to listen. Stay focused, you can do it. (laughs) And just listen to the word of God. It says this, in Acts chapter 12, it says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. So imagine, it must have been at least one year since Jesus, ascended, since Jesus was put to death on the cross because it's Passover again. So they've had one of their leaders already be put to death with a sword. And then they have Peter now during Passover, just like what happened to Jesus, be put in prison. I'm sure they thought, okay, he's going to die too. And there was even a prophecy about Peter being crucified potentially. And so they're like, this is it. Here it goes. But what is their response? They imprisoned Peter, placing him under guard with four squads of soldiers on each side. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The church prayed. And the same way it was 2,000 years ago, that's how we respond today. When there's a situation in our community, when there was a shooting, when there is sickness, we come together and we pray. That is our response. And that's the right response. And I love this story, so I'm just going to read it to you. The night before Peter was supposed to be placed on trial, he fell fast asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. I don't know that I could fall asleep like that, but he did. So he was asleep. And others stood guard at the prison gate. So here he is, surrounded by soldiers. And where is the church? Praying earnestly. And so what happens is, in the middle of the night, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And the angel struck him on the side to wake him up and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. And the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. I love this. So Peter thought he was dreaming. Here an angel comes to rescue him. And Peter is like, yep, I'm going to put my clothes on and my sandals on. I'm going to walk out of the prison. But he thought he was dreaming. He was not expecting God to come rescue him in the middle of the night. I love that because... You know, I would have thought Peter would be awake and alert and like ready and like, yes, angel, I've been waiting for you, full of faith, right? No, no, he thought he was dreaming. So they passed the first and second guard post. They came to the iron gate leading to the city. This opened for them all by itself. So they passed through walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. So here's Peter out on the street thinking he's having a dream. Then Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized it, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John. And many were gathered there to pray. So the church was facing a difficult time. Their response was to pray. Peter couldn't believe it when the angel came. He thought it was a dream. But here's my favorite part. He knocked on the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it and when she recognized Peter's voice she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door she ran back inside and told everyone Peter is standing at the door so she just left him out there like they've been praying for him here comes their answer knocking at the door and she's like oh my gosh it's Peter and she just doesn't even open the door so she goes inside and says Peter is standing at the door you're out of your mind they said 
So here's the church, praying fervently, even the Bible says, fervent prayers. They obviously had like very low expectations that their prayer was going to be answered. I don't know what they were praying. Maybe they were like, help him persevere and suffer through this. Take him quickly, O Lord. I don't know. But I'm expecting that they were actually praying for him to be released, right? So here is their answer, knocking at the door. And they said, you're out of your mind. But when she insisted, they decided, it must be Peter's angel. They still didn't believe it. Sometimes we pray with a lot of faith. I think this gathering of the early church was praying with very little faith or expectation that their prayer was going to be heard. But still, because they prayed, God moved on their behalf. And the answer came. They had a mustard seed, you guys, but they prayed. They partnered with the will of God, and that enabled him to set Peter miraculously free. So Peter continued knocking. They finally opened the door and saw him, and they were amazed. They were amazed. I want to see God move in our church, move in our city in such a way that we are amazed. And yes, we want to have faith, but more than anything, We need to pray. We need to seek the will of God. And we need to sacrifice ourselves in prayer, both at home in our prayer closet, but also together as a church. If you've been thinking about leading a U group this fall, maybe you don't need a curriculum. You can just do a prayer gathering where you spend an hour and a half in prayer, seeking God and then praying his will into being over our city, over our church family. You know, there are two things that God will not do for us. I'm sure there are many more, but there are two for sure that stick out to me. He will not evangelize for us, and he will not pray for us. And our win as a church family is salvation, right? Our win is salvation. And can I tell you, the key to salvation is prayer. There was a righteous Gentile named Cornelius that lived right And he had never heard the gospel, but an angel came to him and said, hey, because of your prayer, we're going to send this guy Peter to come and share something with you. I want you to listen to him. Cornelius said, okay. The angel was obviously being understood. Why couldn't the angel have shared the gospel? The angel just came to Cornelius and said, somebody, a man, is going to share this with you. We need to be the ones to share the gospel. But also, what is our response to seeing the multitudes that don't know Jesus? We see in scripture where Jesus had compassion on the multitudes. Compassion on the multitudes. And his disciples were like, Jesus, look at all the people. What do we do? And Jesus said, Look at the multitude, they're confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And he didn't tell them like, go pray, you know, go help them, go talk to them. He said, therefore, pray. Our response to seeing the harvest is not only going, but also praying. If our win is salvation, those are the two things that God cannot do. It is our responsibility to therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers and to go and share the good news.
Would you hop up on your feet? That last verse, I think you guys have the Matthew 9 verse. If you could put that back up again. That's how I want to end today and we're coming to a close. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He's looking out over Eulis, over Bedford, over the mid-cities. And he says to us, to his disciples, the harvest is great. The workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his harvest fields. You know, there are some prayers that we pray tenaciously until the answer comes. And there are other prayers that we pray until we realize we are the answer to that same prayer. And we got to get up and go. And I think when it comes to revival in our city, which we talk about all the time, when it comes to the win of salvation, these are really the two basic things that it comes down to. It's Every member of our church is a minister. We need to minister the gospel to people, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we need to minister in prayer. And that is how God will move on the earth. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for myself included, God, that you would give us a mantle of prayer as a church, that we would be called a house of prayer, and that each and every one of us would pick up the responsibility and the burden and um, the calling that you have given us to pray, God. That we would be willing to stand in the gap like you talk about in your word. To intercede for our city, for our community, for our families, for our church, for our leaders and our government, God. It would have been so much easier if you would just enact your will here on earth just because you wanted to. But Lord, you've chosen to partner with us and God, we wanna say yes to that partnership. We want to make sure that everything you have purposed in our generation is not left undone because of our lack of prayer. We want to be a prayer-filled church, not a prayerless church. God, burden us and teach us how to pray, just like you taught your disciples. I ask that we would be tenacious, that we would persevere in prayer, that we would not just share the gospel without prayer, and that we wouldn't just pray and not share the gospel, but as a church, we would do both. embolden us to ask big things of you, Jesus. That we would see you move in a mighty way in our generation. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.